0: Please take your Bible and turn back with me to the book that we were in this morning. Turn back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Uh, This morning we did kind of a a bird's eye view, uh, the flyover of uh, the book of 1 Corinthians uh, in an effort to better help us have an idea when we're going through it personally, um, sometimes that's helpful to kind of have a, a big picture view before we dig into it. And so that was the goal this morning, and I uh, really had the goal of having the big picture roadmap, but also the big picture takeaway in terms of the overall theme of the book. What are the, what are the things that Paul kind of repeats and keeps on coming back to throughout the book? Uh, but tonight, what I'd like for us to do is look at just one particular passage And that's near the end of the book. So if you turn to chapter 16, chapter 16 and back up one verse, back up one verse, Uh, tonight we're going to take our time and look at just this one verse, Uh, look at it in its context and uh, seek to better understand it and uh, seek to apply it. Uh, The theme of this particular verse, you could say, is the idea of what you're doing not being in vain. Not in vain. Let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Many Christians, I would say, are probably familiar with this verse. Maybe there's a, a special background in its, in its artwork, or it's a painting uh, worthy of putting on your wall. And I, and I would say it's certainly in that category. We're familiar with this verse, and it's often given to, to encourage someone, right? Doesn't it have an encouraging tone to it? To keep up in difficult times. And with quoting the verse, it's, to, it's typical, though, to include, uh, to, to quote it right after the word brothers. So, so if you see this quoted somewhere or in artwork, it would be be steadfast, immovable, always abounding under the work of the Lord maybe not maybe not even the last part of the verse maybe it includes the last part of the verse knowing that in the lord your neighbor is not in your labor your neighbor is not in vain your labor is not in vain what i want us to do tonight though is to look at this verse but begin at the beginning of the verse what's the first word in the verse you can say it out loud therefore and then what are the next three words my beloved Brothers, we're going to look at the therefore uh, for a, a, a bit of our time, but it, it is noteworthy that he says, my beloved brothers. Because if you remember the, the, the rest of the preceding part of the whole book, the whole book of 1 Corinthians doesn't have so much an endearing, loving, warm and fuzzy encouragement from Paul. He has a lot of things to say that are showing the Corinthians wow, you guys are missing it here. You guys are messing up. So it makes sense then that at the end of this book, he wants them to know, hey, I I am in your corner. I do love you. I've said a lot of hard stuff. I've been pretty direct about some stuff. We've got some issues that are really serious. But I do want you to know that I do consider you, brothers and sisters, as brothers and sisters, but also as beloved. And so... He, he does have good reason to say all the things that he said up to this point, but he's, truly, he's really trying to, at the end of this hard letter to them, he's trying to end it with an, an encouraging tone. And so you notice that right away when he's saying he's calling them beloved brothers. So that's really the sense of this last verse here, is one of encouragement. But what's the foundation? That's the first thing that we're going to look at, the foundation of Paul's encouragement. And that's why the... The therefore is so significant. What is the therefore supposed to point us to? It should point us to what's come before. He's, what he's about to say, it's because of something else he's already said. The immediate context is verse 57. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The immediate context is the, the idea of we have victory through Christ. More specifically, victory over what? Verse 55, verse 54 gives us a clue. Uh, jumping right into the end of this long chapter, fi- verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Part of the foundation of Paul's encouragement is first the fact that we as brothers and sisters in Christ have ultimate victory over death. Death that was very ominous now isn't quite so ominous. The sting of death in a, in a human perspective, in a human standpoint, the sting of death is the pain of death. But it doesn't ultimately have that pain. But then he goes further, verse 56, what he means to be the sting of death is what? Verse 56. What does he say it actually is? We don't have to wonder. He says the sting of death is sin. Why is there death? Because there is sin. Sin is the ultimate cause of death. When when through one man sin entered the world, what, what came through also to the world? And death by sin. That is how serious death is. So there's also ultimate victory over the cause of death. Ultimate victory when Christ returns because Christ is risen, He showed that he conquered death, and he even conquered its reason, its uh, sin, the reason for death. And who brought about this victory? He says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God, verse 57, who gives us the victory over sin and over death, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we could say, we could sum it all up and say, this is the reason, this is the foundation, this is what undergirds the encouragement that we're about to look at more closely. You could pack it all up together. Well, yes, the resurrection of Christ, and that's why we see that at the end of verse 57 there. To put it all together, what I'm about to tell you, Paul says, is because of Christ's resurrection, which has brought about ultimate victory over death and its cause which is sin. That shows you, for one, how serious death is. I'm sorry, how serious sin is. Sin is so serious that man now, for the rest of humanity, after Adam and Eve's sin, death would be the result of that. Death is painful, but it points us to how seriously God views sin. So the foundation of the encouragement that Paul's about to give is the fact that Christ is raised from the dead. He's, he's victorious over death. He's victorious over sin. Now, what though is the content of Paul's encouragement? What's the meat of it? Because of those things, oh, look at that. There, That's the third point of this. Be assured of the reward in Christ. I'll just give them to you all. The content of Paul's encouragement, what does he say because of all this? Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. The idea of being firmly or solidly in place, firm, steadfast. He also says, be immovable. The idea that something will not shift and will not change. Just recently, I had the opportunity to put together a uh, a swing set that I found, not on the side of the road, but basically. Um, But it was free, and I looked this swing set up online, and if I was to have bought it, it would have been kind of a lot of money. And I didn't really see quite the significance of that until yesterday I had the opportunity to put it together. The thing is built like a tank. I spent... Multiple dollars going to buy replacement hardware for the thing. Like, these aren't just screws, these are bolts. Lag bolts. Multiple ones per per 4x4 beam. This thing is not going anywhere. If we ever move, it's staying. It's just going to have to stay. And if there was ever to be a hurricane in New England, I think we've had those kind of... um, This thing wouldn't go anywhere. Our house might blow over, but this is going to stay. It was steadfast. And the idea here of being immovable, it's not just that it's inert and lifeless and just won't be able to move because it doesn't have any ability to move. It's the opposite of that. It is actively going to stay in place. It will choose not to move. Let nothing move you is actually the way one translation renders this, showing how 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 we need to be active in this encouragement that Paul gives us. Now, what is it that we are to be firm about? Against what should we not move if it's pressing up against us? Look back in verse 12. There was, there was a particular truth that some of the Corinthians, some of those in this Corinthian church, remember we, we thought about this this morning, how hard a Uh, a place it was to have a vibrant church, how wicked the city was. Verse 12. Some of them had been tempted to start believing something false to, to give into, to waffle on to, instead of being immovable, they were tempted to move on it. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13 but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. This is really serious that some of you Corinthians here in this church are actually thinking this. And so he's going to continue arguing for the validity and the significance of Christ's resurrection. Look at verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then that means that we're not going to either. Then that means that we only have hope in this life. How pitiable is that? How, how silly for you to live your whole life and that's all there is if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. Look at verse 30. Verse 30. Why are we in danger every hour? Like, why are we going through all this if this is all there is? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? Which he, humanly speaking, had actually done that. If the dead are not raised why am I doing this? Let's just forget all this. Let's forget the suffering. Let's stop stop sticking up for your identification with Christ and the the mantra of the day, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. It doesn't make sense to live as we do as Christians if there's no resurrection, if there's not the better yet to come. And so that's what he's arguing for. Verse 20, in the middle of all this, he says, but in fact, Christ is, has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, the down payment of those who have fallen asleep. Be firm in the truth about Christ. The fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. This is a truth about which you are to remain steadfast. You are not to give up on this. You're going to be pressed against otherwise, but you're going to choose to be immovable. Then he says, always abounding. In the work of the Lord, the idea of abounding there is to be outstanding, to be to be prominent, to to excel. It's the idea of filling up something to where it's spilling over all the sides. This isn't just eking out an existence of the work of the Lord, always doing just enough to count as working for the Lord. No, this is the opposite of that. This is just doing so much. It's 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 the it's who you are. You're excelling in this. You're doing it all the time. Um, the, the NIV renders it, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. That fleshes out the sense there. I want you to turn over to 1 Thessalonians 4. We see a use of this word. It's helpful for us to better understand, well, what does it mean that Paul's telling us to do? Look at 1 Thessalonians 4. The very first verse of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4. In verse 1, see if you notice the word that's the same word underlying what we're looking at in our verse as abounding. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. What do you think the the word is in that verse that's the same as abounding? Abounding. What would you say? More and more. That you do so more, that you excel, that you keep on doing more than you are. Second Corinthians eight. Let's look at Second Corinthians eight. Another use of this word. Second Corinthians eight. And we'll look at verse seven. Second Corinthians eight and verse seven. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. This is actually to this very church that he'll use the same word in a second, or kind of like fourth, as we talked about this morning, letter to the Corinthian church. What's the word used twice here? To excel, Right. Back to 1 Corinthians. Back to 1 Corinthians, not 15, but 14. Because Paul has used this same word in the letter to the Corinthians. Just one chapter earlier, 1 Corinthians 14, 12. He's in the middle of a discussion of using gifts in the church. He says, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 14, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit... Strive to excel in building up the church. That's some of our more immediate context of how he uses this word, the kind of encouragement that he intends for them. And this is coming on the heels in chapter 14 of really Paul sorting them out on their, you could say, inordinate preoccupation with some significant spiritual gifts. Really the gift of tongues. And he's saying, there's one more thing, there's one thing that you need to keep your sights on. And, and in fact, the gift of tongues is kind of distracting you from the big picture, the more significant thing. And the thing that you need to excel in is building up the church. You could call it edification. And so that really gives us a pretty good idea of what Paul has in mind here in chapter 15 and verse 58, the idea what are you to what what is the work of the lord that you are to be abounding in to be excelling in that he has talked about even in chapter 14 it's the idea of building up the believers this work of the lord we get an idea there even in the last part of the verse always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that in the lord your another word for work you might say is labor this is hard work. The idea of engaging in something that's burdensome. Sometimes doing the next right thing in your church life in terms of serving, serving others, doing something around the church. You know what? It's probably honest to say, yeah, that was burdensome to me. That was, that was inconvenient for me this weekend to do that thing. I had a bunch of other things that I felt like I wanted to get done and maybe needed to get done. And it was a burden. It was toil to do this thing. But, it, but Paul is saying it's actually not in vain. And that's the idea of laboring, the work of the Lord. I want you to turn to chapter 3 of, of this uh, epistle. First Corinthians chapter 3. And this will give a little fuller picture of what is the work of the Lord. First Corinthians chapter 3. And I want us to look at uh, verse 4. Verse four. Remember this is the context here is where they, they're having this preoccupation with, with personalities. I follow this guy because I think he's got the he's he's got it here, and so I'm going he's my guy. Well, no, I follow this guy. There's a bunch of divisions over these different personalities in the church. And he's getting their focus back on the right place. Verse four for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, well, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? Remember, he's just called them fleshly a few verses earlier, and that's what's evidencing it, is that they're all fighting with each other. Verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Why are you following these guys? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. God is using each of these men in different ways. So why are you arguing about it? I planted, verse 6, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Don't be stuck on your personalities. God's the one who's doing the big picture work anyway. But it's God who gives the growth. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. They're one and the same. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. In the context of these, work, uh, these verses, what what is the idea of the work of the Lord in these verses that Apollos and Paul were involved in? What was the work that they were involved in? Proselytizing, Proselytizing. you could call it evangelism. They were they were doing gospel work specifically in terms of planting gospel seeds. Paul, I forget who Apollos was watering the gospel seeds. So evangelism is a significant part of your work for the Lord, that, about which you ought to be firm and, and steadfast and keep on abounding in this. But to be fruitful, abounding in this labor is not just, you know, let's, let's do this for a week. Oh, oh, finally, we're done with the work of the Lord. What's the next thing? No, it's, it's the long haul it 's it 's the entire christian life, and that 's that 's a really serious commitment and th- there 's going to be times when when you 're seeking to evangelize and others that you know are doing the same thing and there 's going to be times when you feel like you 're the only one i 'm spending like half my week and i 'm trying to focus on these relationships. Is anybody else doing this too ah, this This is hard work D- did i did I just waste my whole afternoon doing this thing that i <laughs> I wouldn't choose to be doing this type of thing, but I was doing it for the sake of this relationship. That was hard work. It it was tying up other things that I could have been doing. It's going to be tempting to feel like, is this even really worth it? All this time I'm devoting to evangelism. Maybe there's going to be times where you're lonely. You feel like you're up here cleaning the church. (sighs) I can give you 25 other things that I need to be doing right now and I'm up here by myself cleaning the church. You're going to feel lonely. You're going to feel discouraged about that. It's going to be exhausting. Maybe, maybe you make a commitment to serve someone in a, in a certain way and it ends up costing you a lot more than you expected. All I wanted to do was go over and do this thing and I ended up there two hours later and I was still doing this thing. It's going to cost you more in, in various ways than maybe you bargained for. One, one writer encourages us with this. He says, because of our wealth of heavenly spoils and our eternal victory in Christ, we can afford to abound. And that's what Paul has just gotten done doing in 1 Corinthians 15, reminding them of their riches that they have yet to fully obtain because of the resurrection of Christ. Because he did that, he conquered death, he conquered sin. The the future is secure. I'll have the rest of eternity to reap the rewards of my comparably little sowing that I've done. In terms of money, in terms of time, in terms of energy, in terms of inconvenience. And so that's why it's right for us to think of the reward of the work in Christ. Here, uh, back in chapter 3, each will receive his wages according to his labor. The labor of evangelism and edification in some ways is less tangible. Sometimes that's why it's harder. It's less tangible because we, we give ourselves to it and we don't have the immediate result, right? When you work a certain number of hours, if you have an hourly wage, you're going to receive payment. You have dollars to show for those hours. Um, you, you sell so many products Look, I can count the number of products that I have sold. There's a a level of fulfillment that comes, that should come, when you actually do the things. Maybe you have a certain number of things on your to-do list. I can look at my to-do list and I can say, look at the things that I accomplished today. My little projects, my tasks, the things that I wanted to get done. You set out to clean the house. And after a while, or after a long while, it's done. And you can see, I did this thing and there's the result. Um, You mow the lawn. And after an hour or two or seven, however long it takes you, you can see I have a completed work. But the return of the work of the Lord sometimes is not so cut and dry and so immediate. So, so the work of, of looking for something tangible, sometimes it's hard to see the, the, benefit, the immediate benefit of that. The time that it took to, to talk to your child about their behavior the time that it took to, to discipline them faithfully the last three days didn't necessarily bear its fruit like immediately. Sometimes the, the fruit of those little conversations and those little inconvenient times where you're trying to disciple your child, the fruit of that sometimes is years in the making and years eventually in the seeing, the fruit of that showing up. The time that you took to be an encouragement and try to always be there for that other brother, that other sister, doesn't necessarily come right back to you in terms of immediate benefit. That person that you've been praying for, the person that you've been witnessing to, didn't embrace Christ like immediately the first time you shared the gospel with them. That might have been weeks and years, and maybe it hasn't even happened yet. But that's why Paul gives us the encouragement that he does. It's going to be necessary to be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. I've got to be reminded that this is not in vain. Because the nature of the work sometimes feels like you're not getting a return on it. And that's why Paul gives us this encouragement. We we need a reminder of reality. Your work for Christ's sake is not for naught. What's encouraging to me is even just your faithfulness in being here, right? There's kind of fewer people than there were here this morning, right? But you made, for whatever reason, a priority of gathering with God's people. That's God's grace in you. That is encouraging. Thank you for your faithfulness, Paul would say. Paul would say, your, your labor is not in vain. Maybe it, you're like, well, that's just what I do on Sunday nights. Well, good for you. That's a good habit to get into. Thank you for your faithfulness, like Paul would say. There, you're, you're in the right place when you're being faithful in the little things. If if you're a sixth grader, think about this. Maybe you know some other third graders or other fourth graders that are in your life. That little conversation of encouragement that you had with them, that that spending some time playing with them instead of the more significant people or the more fun people, that is not in vain. If you are doing that because you love Christ, that is something that God sees. The small things are important to be faithful in. Maybe you are an eleventh grader. I, I haven't thought of particular people, so if you are like I am in eleventh grade, he's talking about me. That's not the case. Um, but but the time that you would take to say, you know what, I am going to go talk with this adult in the church. I am going to see how they're doing. That is something that God sees. That is not in vain. Keep abounding in focusing on others. Keep abounding in the little things that you don't think necessarily are big returns on investment, but they are if God's keeping track, and he is. Adult, maybe there's hard people. Maybe there's even someone in our church that has disappointed you. Be encouraged. You are in the majority You're in a normal church if there are people in your church that sometimes disappoint you. Welcome to the club. Welcome to humanity in God's church. Because we're made up of a bunch of sinners that don't get it right every time. And we don't do the right thing every time. But you're being faithful in those little things and seeking to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. Even if it never comes back to you from them, God sees that. And Paul is wanting to encourage them. Anyone, all of us, that time, that money, that skill that you have, that word of encouragement, maybe that hard word of exhortation, your labor in the work of the Lord is not in vain. When you're tempted to give up and and doubt that our love our labor of love for Christ's sake is worth it, is it is all this energy and time that I'm putting into this, is it really worth it? I just want to throw in the towel. Can I just have some me time for once? When you're tempted to doubt that your work for Christ's sake is worth it, look to Christ. Look at the reality of the resurrection. That's what Paul's basis for this encouragement was. The resurrection was, was real. Christ's victory over death, Christ's victory over sin is real. Christ really did conquer death and sin. Death and sin for the believer is not the final say. I like how Wayne began our call to worship this morning. Big picture looking beyond this life. That was the way Abraham lived. That's the way Hebrews really ends on in its encouragement at the end of the book of Hebrews. All of these people in a sense don't be like them be like Jesus but kind of be like them because how did they live they lived as if they were going to get something that never in this earthly life they got they lived as if these things were true they were they had endurance the way Christ had endurance who for the joy that was set before him he knew what was true and he saw through to the joy that was before him because of that he endured the cross Because of the resurrection, I can know for certain that death is not the final say. Death is just a stop along the way to what real reality will one day begin. Sin is not the final say in your life. Yes, you struggle with it right now. Yes, death is hard right now. But it's not the end. It's just a a stop along the way. And because the resurrection is true, we can base our lives on that. I can be firm in that truth and I can be fruitful because of that truth. So I want to, in the words of Paul, encourage you to be steadfast, to be immovable, always abounding in the big and all the tiny little small works of the Lord. Knowing, believe, believe what sometimes you can't feel. Believe what you can't sometimes see. That it is not in vain. Remember the theme First Corinthians that we uh, arrived at this morning, a church that is being unified and purified results in God being glorified. Your labor in that you're working hard to maintain unity and be faithfully loving to your brothers and sisters in Christ and not be contentious and div- divisive to work toward unity, to work toward purity that work of the Lord is not in vain. God's going to be glorified as you are seeking to always abound in the work of the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. That's what I want to leave us with this, uh, tonight as we wrap up and just getting a little snapshot just for encouragement, especially for you who are here on, a, on a just a normal Sunday night when there's other stuff you could be doing. On a Wednesday night, It's in the middle of a busy week. Some of you, you haven't even had dinner yet, and you're showing up to prayer meeting because you know, you know what, that's important. God values prayer. God values my being being with other believers. I'm going to do it even though it's kind of inconvenient. And you're setting the tone for your family. You're setting the tone for other believers to encourage them. Know that all those big and small labors of love, your work in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your grace at work, Uh, even in uh, the messed up Corinthian church that had all sorts of issues.